in an ideal world, I would have bought up everything like last year, you know, early last year. Um, but now that, you know, we've been, we've bought some, we, we sold some duplexes and maybe increased the the comps in the area. Now other people are catching on. And so now land price is kind of getting bid up a little bit. So um, that's, that's probably the biggest piece of the little part is, you know, the capital of having to, you know, buy 70, 80 K lots. Like there's only maybe so much money I can kind of raise at, at one time to, to do that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Placemaking Podcast. I'm really excited for this next conversation. Today, we have on the show Donovan Adesero, uh, which many of you probably have uh, talked to or, or know of on Retweet. And he's got some great information, great story, and excited to dive right in. Donovan, glad to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be here, Matt and Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Can't wait to dive in. I, I guess we'll start off real quick with just a brief uh, background of how you got started in uh, initially engineering, right? And then transitioned a little bit more into the real estate side. So you could just give us a, a brief history for us. For sure. Yeah. So I, um, coming out of high school, I was like knowing I had to, was going to have some student loans probably coming out of college. So I wanted to make sure I had a job that was um, somewhat decent in terms of being able to pay those back. And then I also didn't want to stay in college too long. So I was like, okay, what's the highest paying major without going to grad school? And at the time it was petroleum engineering, um, according to my Google search of like two seconds of research. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess we're doing that. Um, and then went down to Tulsa because I'm from Minnesota and there's just no, no petroleum engineering, anything really around there. Um, so I went down to Tulsa to do that. And then from there graduated and moved to Houston for my full-time job. Very nice. Very nice. And for a little bit of, a little bit of background. So uh, when did you graduate from college? Uh, 2019. Okay. The timing is going to frame just how busy you've been over the last couple of years. And that's been amazing to, to watch your career grow um, in just this short period of time. So appreciate that. That's fantastic. Yeah. When you were going through the petroleum engineering, what was your, um, what was a turning point for you where you started to pay attention to kind of real estate and, and uh, development opportunities? Yeah. I didn't pay any attention during school to be quite honest. So ah. I came out of school, not even really knowing what real estate was. I just know it's like, yeah, it's something that people get into once they're wealthy. That was kind of the mindset, like, you know, and it is capital intensive, capital intensive, um, but yeah, I didn't think it was something I could get into coming out of college. It wasn't until maybe a couple months into my full-time job where I started to look at other avenues to like make money. I think at the time I was looking at like an on-site, like e-commerce, right? And um, just some of those online businesses and real estate kept coming up as like a way to make some income on the side. And so I was like, got down the bigger pockets rabbit hole. And that's really kind of how it all started. Yeah, it's funny how how many people trace their trace their real estate heritage, at least in some part, to to bigger pockets. It's you got something to say about that. It's usually that you hear uh, a rich dad, poor dad is always referenced. There's yeah. there's certain ones that seem to pop up pretty often. So it's interesting. Yeah. Do you think? I'm just curious as a as an engineer myself, um, a little different field, but. Uh, 
similar similar course load initially at least uh, what do you think prepared you most for breaking up into development uh, from from your background in engineering yeah, yeah i mean i'm not sure so i guess the engineering part may have helped with like maybe some of the underwriting and you know when you're in engineering you're putting safety factors on everything you're approximating so um that was helpful with that i guess some of the other stuff that helped in college that wasn't necessarily engineering related was like just joining groups and being heavily involved in i was really involved in engineers without borders i was involved in society black engineers involved in a lot of stuff on campus and so just being able to kind of balance everything like balance the course load in addition to some of those um, extracurricular acti activities and then just being able to figure stuff out that's really what it, i feel like development is it's um i don't know anything half the time i'm just figuring it out as i go yeah there's a lot of that in uh in the real estate world and it's it's <clears throat> fascinating to see so many people with different backgrounds get involved in development and 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 just you know how diverse, you know, your approach to the world has to be in order to cut through the myriad problems that, that exist. And the, like you said, just like the day-to-day -day, um, challenges of doing that. So uh, what's, what's part of the development that uh, process that you enjoy the most? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously I love when it's a finished product, but that's, that's the obvious one. But for me, I get really excited when, you know, I get sent a piece of land and I'm doing the kind of all the due diligence on it. I love to you know, uncover what is potentially a deal and, oh, okay, maybe I can, you know, split this lot into two and that divides my land cost, you know, in half, you know, that makes the deal make sense. And I can still bring somewhat affordable units to the market. So it's a win for everybody. So yeah, I think really getting that deal or getting the, maybe the land sent to me, the address and figuring out it's a deal from there. It's probably one of my favorite parts. And, and tell us a little bit about the projects that you're pursuing. When you get that land deal, you're looking mostly for, um, you know, single family, duplex, quadplex. Is there anything bigger than that you're looking at? Yeah, so far I haven't looked too much um, at uh, bigger projects than that for development. I've looked at some existing, like maybe larger multifamily, but for the development stuff so far, it's all been infill, um, kind of 50 by 100, so 5,000 square feet lots. I mean, that's more or less what we've been what we've been building on trying to get them in areas that are in the path of progress. Hopefully that are going to appreciate a little bit over the next couple of years, but still get you some cash flow. So trying to find that, strike that right balance of, you know, upside as well as you know, the current um, cash flow. But yeah, so <clears throat> I don't look for anything that's doesn't have utilities already. So I want to take that risk off the table. So everything has utilities, everything has uh, like frontage, like there's nothing, I'm not doing anything crazy. It's basically, if, if you think of it from like maybe a, a flipper standpoint, you're basically a full gut remodel flip, but you're putting in a foundation. So that's kind of how I like to think of it. Like a, there's not really too much of the um, development and entitlement risk that, um, you know, you some of the bigger developers take on. So just, just walk us through real quick. You're, you're going through the, through the bigger pockets rabbit hole uh, right after college. It sounds like. And yeah. A couple months in. Okay. And so uh, you've got an idea. You maybe heard something about um, about this. Was it infill development of this type that you initially sparked your interest or was there, a, was there another type of real estate and you just kind of fell into kind of more of this infill type deal? Yeah, actually, the first thing I got into through Bigger Pockets was really house hacking. So house hacking was the 
resonated the most with me at the time as a, you know, broke young graduate. I was like, yeah, I don't have, you know, 15, 20% down to put on the property, but, you know, I could definitely come up with, you know, three and a half percent. So that's kind of how I started. And as a matter of fact, there's actually a 0% down program in Texas um, for one to two units, which is, which is pretty cool through, through Bank of the Ozarks, which I think is in Arkansas. So they, mm-hmm. it might actually, yeah, might work in Arkansas as well. Um, so that's how I got started was a 0% down loan on a duplex. And then from there, you know, everyone who knows bigger pockets knows they talk about like the birth strategy. So the, you know, buy rent or rehab, rent refinance, repeat one of those acronyms. Is, <laughs> right. right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Somewhere in there. Um, and so I wanted to initially burr a project, you know, cause it, it made sense, you know, you get to recycle the capital um, and you can scale quickly. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Um, however, in, in the Houston market at the time, when you have to hire a GC in, in addition to, um, you know, fixing up the property and you get the GC fee and you got, you know, contingency, it just made the numbers really thin. And so as I was looking at maybe five, 10, 15, potentially potential bird deals, and none of them really made that much sense. That's when I started to turn to development and thinking that there was a little bit more margin in there. So walk us through your first, your first project, real um, development project. Yeah. So once I decided on development, you know, I had a, created a presentation trying to uh, get a, get somebody with more money to partner with me just because I didn't have the money to actually close on the loan, but I had all the other pieces in place in terms of like the contractor, the architect and the lender and everything. Um, so I put together the presentation. I find um, I'm pitching people night and day on this thing, like after work, setting up phone calls, trying to talk to any investor who would listen. And eventually someone says, it's actually a doctor in New Jersey. He's like, yeah, I'm interested. Found him on a Facebook group. And so long story short, you know, once I get that first investor ready to go, um, where I'm basically looking for or reaching out to wholesalers and realtors for any maybe off-market land deals in like a specific two zip code area. So I was really, you know, granular in terms of where I was looking. I'm looking at, you know, kind of close to where I live, which is because I bought a duplex in that area, I knew I'd already had comps ready to go. Um, so that's why I felt comfortable pursuing land in that area. So yeah, we get something under contract. It took us maybe about a month from whenever that invest- investor said he was ready to go. And then, yeah, kind of waiting through permitting about three to four months in, in Houston. It's pretty typical. And I just had the architect or architect was one that, uh, was recommended by one of the builders I talked to. So that's kind of how I found them. Yeah. And we just uh, waited for the permits to be in place. And then we closed on the construction loan. Um, actually, I think the first one was with Bank of the Ozarks. It took like three months. It was, oh gosh, it was terrible, terribly long. I I was not like persistent on, you know, pushing the banker to like, hey, like, can we get things moving? I was just kind of passive just kind of waiting for it to to close. So that's something I regret and made sure to not do on the future ones. And then, yeah, as we, as we got started, things started out pretty good. You know, contractor was moving along, things were good. And then we had hit a big mistake, like halfway through. So as you, you're, you guys are architects and developers, you may know, but at the time um, the contractor had didn't build, didn't build the firewall correctly. So the, uh, basically a couple sheets of drywall that's separating the two units needs to be thicker than, you know, your traditional, you know, room to room drywall it needs to actually be, you know, fire rated five eighths and all that good stuff. But my contractor had only did like 
it wasn't it kind of was his fault yeah it was definitely his fault actually now that i think about it so i just really <laughs> didn't follow the plans and and put like less i think he had to put like four sheets um you know two on each side of five ace for whatever the design code we had and he had put two so he had like 50 percent. and so mind you the house is already dang near built at this point so you can't really just go and jack up the you know the roof and try and slide the two sheets of drywall in there there's not enough clearance so we were uh, we were sitting there for like three to four months i mean just trying to figure out a solution with the city so um yeah so interest payments are eating up my investors you know calling me like what the heck is going on i'm like oh my gosh i'm so stupid like i haven't i messed this thing up all i had to do was just you know get the first one done um long story short we got it figured out though and then it actually luckily worked to our benefit a little bit because this was you know we were building you know 2021 so as we were delayed prices kept increasing on the back end so the arv was increasing with every month we were delayed so i definitely got a little little bailed out with that one we still would have been okay like we probably would have you know spent maybe four or five thousand in interest so really it wasn't terrible but as you can imagine from the investor standpoint when i told him it was going to be a month and it ended up being you know 16 months he wasn't necessarily pleased um so that's really what, what was the downside but in terms of like um overall ended up being a great project and he's i've got eight with him where we just closed on two more you know last week so he's still excited and ready to move forward but that was one of the big mistakes that we made on the first one that i just i didn't i didn't even know it's so funny when you walk on a job site the little things that you don't fully appreciate until you've you've seen some things and yeah. you walk through right. again like i've had that conversation about whether it's type x jip or if it's yeah, just traditional half inch and mm -hmm. uh, you don't you don't miss that again yeah oh yeah we'll never do it again i will i physically go there now to check before you know as soon as they frame it up you got you got all four sheets right because we don't want to repeat of last time so yeah. but yeah now he's it's ingrained in his brain too yeah. so you use the same G, uh, gc every time now so i do yeah so we have a a good uh kind of process so obviously he's he's built the same thing at this point so it's like you know now he knows exactly what we're doing we only really do like two floor plans for the most part so there's not much that's changing from duplex to duplex um the other thing i like about him is he's not asking for any money up front so that's how you know i felt pretty good from you know from protecting the investor's capital like even on that very first one i didn't i didn't pay him anything up front so like even though it was taking a little bit longer we weren't necessarily like in trouble because we've only paid him for what he had completed so far so in a worst case scenario we would have just gotten another contractor and and just had them finish because we weren't we weren't like committed to them by having like a 30 40k deposit or anything like that but if that makes sense well so you've you've done some of the similar floor plans and and kind of the rinse and repeat process um tell us a little bit about the neighborhoods that you're building in yeah so neighborhoods are probably they're definitely in a transitioning area and for sure because i'm obviously wanted the land to be cheap enough to again to cash flow but still in the path of progress but the, the overall general like area so it's like 15 minutes from downtown um it's you know 10 15 minutes from three universities the university of houston texas southern and, and rice university so these are all you know pretty well recognized in general um and then it's you know 10 minutes from the texas medical center which is largest medical center in the world so um let's do is find something that was affordable but still within driving distance to some major attractions and so i i feel like um this spot is 
is the place for it. And so we we went all in. All the you know ten that we've completed and the other twelve or thirteen that we have in construction are all in that same area that we first started in. What is your biggest barrier to doing more uh, more of those homes right now? Yeah, um, I think part of it's the capital and and part of it's just the sellers um, still wanting a little bit higher asking price than I'm willing to pay. Um, so in an ideal world, I would have bought up everything like last year, you know, early last year. Um, but now that, you know, we've been, we bought some, we, we sold some duplexes and maybe increased the the comps in the area. Now other people are catching on. And so now land price is kind of getting bid up a little bit. Um, that's, that's probably the biggest piece of the little part is, you know, the capital of having to, you know, buy 70, 80 K lots. Like there's only maybe so much money I can kind of raise at, at one time to to do that. And do you hold these in lease or do you sell? What was what, your typical structure for exit? Yeah, so far we actually did half and half. So of the 10 that we've exited, we've um, cashed out refinanced on five and then rented them out. And then the other five we sold. Um, of the ones we sold, I think two two or three were to like actual investors who were buying them and putting 20% down. And then the other two were um, to like house hackers, kind of like myself, we're going to buy the, you know, duplex, live in one side, rental the other. So do you ever look back at your first slide deck for your investment uh, strategy thesis and think about uh, how, how you could have improved that initially? Or I guess, was it was it pretty solid to begin with? No, no, definitely was far <laughs> from solid. I actually put posted it on Twitter a few months back um, just so people could see kind of how naive I was. Um, like... The biggest thing was just the timeline. Like I assumed everything was going to go perfectly, right? Permitting is going to be three months, just like my, you know, just like the city said it would. Um, Construction is going to go four months, just like my contractor told me. And it ended up being like almost double that original timeline. Um, so that was, you know, kind of funny to look back at to see that, yeah, we're going to be done in eight months and end up taking like 15, 16 months. So um the numbers were were actually pretty solid, so I I do I, I did feel pretty good about those. Like those are still pretty accurate, um, but yeah, just the timeline was the biggest piece, and setting expectations of you know how long is this actually going to take. Have you seen any uh, challenges in the interest rate markets right now? Yeah, for sure. So we probably would have liked to hold more of the properties, but I think where where rates are, you know, by the time you cash out refi something at eight percent, I mean the the cash flow was not too much at that point. Um, so <clears throat> that's definitely made us look more towards selling. And then obviously on the selling side, now there's a little bit less, less buyers, right? Cause there's just, the rates are, you know, six and a half, seven at this point. Um, so it's definitely been a challenge. So to give you some context, I mean, when we first, some of those first ones that we finished, like, uh, like last year, we could, um, basically list them, as soon as we really pour the foundation and we would just post a picture of the plans as the listing image and they would typically go under contract. Now what we're having to do is basically get it all the way to completion. So the buyers can pretty much visualize it. So um, luckily we're still able to get them closed as soon as we finish construction, but just the, it's the difference of when we go under contract is, has changed from, you know, first month, second month of construction to more like the last 30 days of construction is when we can uh, more or less go under contract to sell them. 
you talked a little bit about the uh, delays in construction um, and uh, some of the, some of those roadblocks. But um, in the Houston area, are there any other roadblocks that you run into, or any other um, issues the other developers are dealing with? Yeah, so there's always I'm sure you guys deal with this too, like always the changing in the the permitting code, right? I mean, so like the the setbacks may be three feet one day, and you know every year they're changing to something different or um, there's new floodplain mitigation strategies that the city's implementing and then they'll cancel those strategies so it's kind of staying up to date and making sure your architect or engineer is really on top of what the current code is to making sure you're doing what you need to do or not doing stuff you don't have to do um and i'm in favor of obviously making stuff make sense but at the same time like some of the stuff like putting underground drainage that's it, not only expensive but time consuming like that a lot of times especially if you're not in a floodplain is is almost unnecessary and so there's a moment in time like there's probably like a three-month period where the houston city of houston was requiring it and they got so much pushback that they ended up you know pulling back on it but you know if your engineer wasn't up to date on you know what the current mandate is then you know you may have spent an extra 15 30 000 putting in something that wasn't required and honestly not needed so um, that's been a, ch been a challenge. And then, and as I'm sure you guys deal with, you know, deal with, there's always different inspectors who come out to your property, right? So yeah. you get one inspector one day is, he's, oh yeah, all you got to do is just do this. And then next day you call for inspection. Okay, we did what you said. No, no, no. That guy, he lied to you. You don't have to do that. You need to do this. So um, there's that, that I'm sure everyone deals with. But hey, that you never know, happens, right? It <laughs> never happens. <laughs> I wish only only in Houston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk to us a little bit about um, you know the Houston itself doesn't have the traditional zoning code that a lot of other cities have, um, but they do have the parking requirements. How has that affected your your site planning and your development? Yeah, so for I think the exact code is I don't know what the like ratio is, but generally if you have two bedrooms or more, you have to put two parking spaces per unit. So you know people. When I, when I post some of my you know site plans or finished products on Twitter, like, oh, don't have any covered up the whole front yard with concrete. It's like, yeah, man, I didn't I didn't want to do that. You know, that's that's what the permitting code requires. I need to have Water, yeah. yeah two off street per unit, and so the only way to do that is to you know have the two separate driveways and and right and you have the twenty five foot setback for us generally across Houston. So there's no way to really limit the length of that driveway you pretty much have to make it 25 feet and it has to fit two cars so um yeah that's been uh a, a challenge i think at this point we're we're kind of used to it for the most part but i guess i would just like to bring awareness to it to the people in houston who are you know maybe looking at you know why is there so much cement in the front yard or you know why can't you know i do a fourplex or a triplex and a lot of it kind of boils down to just the numbers don't really make sense to do it on um, some of the bigger units, because when I say bigger units, I guess more units. So like a triplex and fourplex, not only are you into a kind of that commercial building code in some points, in some cases, um, but you also have to, you know, satisfy the parking requirements. So um, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but I think we're kind of accustomed to it at this point. I haven't really thought about that at the duplex, triplex, fourplex level. And I could see how that could definitely throw a wrench in those plans for especially for off-street parking requirements. I mean, that eats exactly. up most of your land. Um, Precisely. And they and they wonder about, you know, not providing enough housing and, and whatnot. <laughs> we 
share the same sentiment for sure. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to touch real quick on you know some of the the roadblocks that you faced uh, along the way. Maybe you know we already touched on construction and permitting, but uh, are, are there any other roadblocks that you see that? timing uh, other developers from doing the same thing you're doing and providing additional housing i guess what other yeah i mean i see people um really that's kind of the cool thing about houston is really if you're a kind of a mom and pop investor you could go buy a lot and hire a builder and start building tomorrow um and we i do see that pretty often but i think what i do a little bit differently is you know i'm, I'm trying to get multiple projects done at the same time whereas i think typical mom and pop investor is going to spend their own cash to to do seven, you know, buy a lot for 70, 80 grand and, and do one project. So I think, you know, capital may be one of the the probably biggest constraints that I see from the the builders who, you know, may not go, who, who are doing fee development versus doing projects themselves. Um, they may have enough to do like two or three on their own, but they don't have enough to do, you know, multiple. Um, so yeah, capital is probably, a big piece and then i think as we not to touch too much on the you know construction and permitting side but um there's there's always new like the flood mitigation is a big thing in houston so that's something for people to keep an eye on you know depending on how they update the maps you could you could have a whole different you know uh experience because if you have to go through the flood uh department it's it's not as fun let's let's say uh and it's not fun to begin with so yeah exactly yeah fun is one way to describe it yeah. yeah so yeah i think those those two is like the capital and then you know kind of the the nuances in the in the permitting can can limit a lot of people well you're off to a fresh start and uh you got a lot of momentum behind you what does the future look like are you going to stick with uh, kind of single family duplex type projects or what's your ambition in the future yeah i definitely want to get to bigger projects one day would love to do you know, an apartment building kind of like, you know, we talked about 12, 18 months ago, Mark, like we'd love yeah. to get to do some stuff with you maybe in Tulsa or maybe some stuff down in Houston. Um, and, you know, Matt too, I know like you guys probably see on Twitter, like Sean Sweeney, like, you know, the, the, the man from, for design and, mm-hmm. you know, apartments. So we'd love to do like maybe a smaller scale version of that, like something 20 to 50 units where it's, you know, probably, I'm not really competing with any of the institutional capital and just com- you know competing with some other kind of mom and pop operators. I think that would that would be cool. Um obviously for the time being I'm just probably sticking with the duplexes just because of where rates are and um you know kind of build up my capital base that way I can put some I can take a little bit more risk with my own money um because that's kind of how I see the when I think about you know raising money to do deals I feel like you really got to I almost know, be certain about the investment for, for me to sleep at night and to also take someone else's money. So with the duplexes, I feel very good, you know, sleeping at night, you know, taking, you know, investors money and and putting into a deal. And so I want to be able to maybe test my own theory on like a bigger apartment complex then before maybe bring some uh, investor money into it. So trying to build up the capital base now through the duplexes at the moment. You've been through the process enough times. It sounds like you've uh, you know the risks and you understand the the process. How, how does taking risk um, enter into your decision making, and, and how do you manage that kind of on a personal level? Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, this is another I guess 
back to Matt's point or Matt's question on the previous one, like what's stopping a lot of people, it's the the risk taking and being able to take, again, a calculated risk, in my opinion, you know, as, as engineer or people who have studied some sort of STEM, there's always some approximation you're doing. And so for me, what I look at is, you know, kind of what's the worst case scenario, um, you know, how much is this real, you know, how much can the, how much can the value of this realistically decline in like a year, right? Because that's kind of the timeline I forecast. So in my eyes, I don't see, you know, a three bedroom, two bed duplex declining more than, I don't know, 10% because there's not much um, supply here. So I feel pretty good. Um, so if I have margin in my deal for 25%, then my worst case is we just don't make as much money, but we still are profitable. So if I look at the worst case and the worst case is still viable or somewhat profitable, then I feel good about taking that calculated risk. It's when the the worst case is, oh, this could get really ugly if this, this, and this happen. That's when I'm like, okay, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. Or I'll, I want to watch someone else do it before I feel comfortable doing it. So it's just summarize. It's just taking a look at that worst case. And if I can live with that, then I feel good about moving forward. You haven't had to deal with any challenging zoning issues or public hearings or any any of the stuff that other places around the country deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, luckily not. So yeah, as you mentioned, you know, no zoning in Houston. So wherever I see a, a lot that I like, I can I know with one hundred hundred percent certainty that I can put a duplex on it. Well, nine out of ten times we have deed restrictions, so there's no no zoning right, but there's some some neighborhoods that are deed restricted. But in general. Um, you can get that from the title commitment. And so I can, I can find out pretty quickly if I can do what I want. And then, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a lot easier for the duplex landscape because just because of no zoning. And, and obviously you're, uh, you went to college here in Tulsa and then uh, moved to Houston, but you're also working in other parts of the country too. Tell us about that. Yeah. So my, my full-time job right now is a, as an best relations director for a company called fund that flip where a lender who makes loans to you know, borrowers who are doing fix and flip and new construction. And then we turn around and offer those loans to accredited investors to buy a piece of. So kind of like a like a fundrise um crowdfunding platform, except for for debt instead of equity. So, you know, fundrise you're buying an equity stake in like an apartment building kind of GP or general partnership, more or less. And then with us, you're buying just kind of uh, a piece of a of a loan that's paying you anywhere from 10 to 12%. So um, the way it works is, you know, we make the origination, that's the bulk of, bulk of our revenue comes from. And then we offer the, you know, the APR basically to the investors who can make, you know, 10, 12% passively. So that's my, that's my, that's my day job. Yeah. When did you start that? That was fairly so, recently, right? Yeah. So I started it actually after I left the engineering job last um, January. So just over a year now. It's funny. How, okay, so how many total projects do you have currently finished and in process? Yeah, so ten completed, and I think it's like twelve or thirteen that are under con- or under construction at the moment. Pretty good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Getting started. Yeah. Trying to get right. like you guys one day. <laughs> oh, man. How, how do you balance that? I mean, because the development is pretty intensive. You know, time. Um, are you f- evenings and weekends filled just constantly with uh, pursuing more projects? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how it was um, all of last year. It's just evenings and weekends would would be dedicated to either accounting or going past going past the projects, making sure contractor was paid. Um, now, the way I see it, it's like it's 
you know, I'm, I'm 26. So I feel like now is the time to really do, do the whole work. There's no work like balance, right? It's all, it's all work for me right now. Um, but the goal would be to hopefully, you know, get it to a place where it's, uh, maybe less intensive and it's starting to get a little bit less intensive because now my contractor has built the same product multiple times. Um, the other thing too, is like all projects are within like a five to 10 minute driving distance of me. So, you know, I can go and hit all 10, 12 in, uh, an hour, an hour and a half just by, you know, driving around, you know, from my house. So that makes it easier as well. Yeah. Again, just, I think really just building the same floor plan is really saving a lot of time and, and concern with the contractor. Cause I know it's like, Hey, you're doing the exact same thing you did on the lot, you know, two blocks down, same exact thing, same floor plan, same material, same finishes. Um, so that's, that's saved a lot of uh, a headache for sure. Yeah. It's good to build that muscle memory so that you know that when there are deviations or something changes along the way, that it's really clear to you. Uh, yeah. like, hey, this, this feels wrong. Something's not right here. I've heard that about um, mechanics that take really good care of their engines that right. they know that you can tell there's an oil leak or there's something wrong uh, because it's well-maintained and, and right. well put together. So simple machine. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm definitely no oil machine or by any means, but um, again, just, I'm probably just not having to stop by as frequently as I did when I, when I first started and still definitely making sure I go and check them out and make sure everything looks good, but yeah, definitely not as frequent. As a, you know, a year ago. What do the buyers look like, the folks who are, are buying your properties? Yeah, so the buyers are, right now it's been mostly mostly like house hackers. So people who want to live on one side, rent out the other. You know, the price point I'm targeting it is is sub 400K on some of these two bedroom, two bath duplexes. They're not exactly, they're not cheap by any means, but you know, for a, a brand new product in, a, in the third largest city, I feel like that's a very reasonable price compared to, you know, the other f- top five, top 10 cities, you know, for a brand new product. Um, so that's typically what I'm seeing is, you know, someone either two, three, four years removed from college and they're, you know, living in an apartment, nice apartment, and they're maybe tired of kind of just renting and not necessarily building any equity. And then I try to educate or at least show people how helpful and impactful house hacking has been for me because it just allowed me to save money and just allow... I'd say like a, a cloud to be removed. It sounds very dramatic, but mm-hmm. bear with me here. A cloud to be removed. Cause like when you, when you grow up without much money and you live paycheck to paycheck, you're always like, you can't think too far in the future. Cause you're so worried about making that next monthly rent payment or next, you know, car payment, car insurance payment. So when you, when you house hack and you have that extra thousand bucks a month coming in, you, you, and you can start to build up a bit of a, a cushion of four or five, six months expenses, you know, that's super powerful. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure we've all seen that statistic where it's like, I don't know what percentage, but less than a, a lot of people don't have even $500 in savings. So if you can build up five, 6,000 in savings, you're, you might be okay. I can, I can breathe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's something that it's, it's surprising that that product type just completely died uh, over the last 20, 30 years. It seems like it's just, nobody's building them and there is a market. It's just, I guess, what do you see as being the so uh, the barrier for more construction of the duplex, triplex, fourplex, and whatnot? Is it capital really, or is it 
Is it just because the bigger guys, the the home builders are just building single family and there's nobody that's actually really focused on, on that product type? It's a little bit of that. The other, I guess the other big thing is just, um, it's not as profitable, I don't think, right? So you could, the same lot that I'm building a duplex on, you could subdivide into two and build two single families and sell them separately and make more money. So that's typically... So the people that I compete with for lots, that's generally what's going to happen if I don't get it. If I don't get it, they're going to subdivide it, put two single families on, and then sell each um, sell each one off. Again, which I have no problem with because you know maybe they're they're still probably able, able to offer the single family home at a at a lower price point. But that's a that's a big uh, maybe roadblock for most people because they're like, well, could do a duplex, but I could also do two single families and make prob- you know more money. If that made any sense. Yeah. I think there's a strong preference for a lot of people to have their four walls and to just know exactly like you're, you're nobody be above you, nobody below you, nobody left or right. And I've heard that uh, criticism of, you know, living in an apartment for a long time and having watched also, you know, at the exact same time, the rise of the, the short-term rental um, or built for rent um, products come where there's entire neighborhoods that are essentially single family, but all for rent. It, right. It's fascinating to see that. I, I want to, you know, I'd love to fast forward 20 years and, and understand how they age, how they work and, and what that community feels like. Um, Cause I feel like you're, you're building an infill lots and you're bringing new investment and um, new energy um, to some older neighborhoods. And so I, I'm curious, I, what that looks like, but in, in your opinion, what does what that like twenty year horizon look like for you? Will you be able to walk up to these you know houses and, and have that sense of pride that you have now? Yeah, I, I hope so. At least um, I think so, and I hope so. Yeah, I mean, kind of what I'm seeing or would hope for it would be kind of one of two scenarios: the people who are buying these, the house hackers, are they're buying it, they're going to live in one unit, and then they're going to you know hold on, you know, leave that unit and maybe. They go buy their nice single family in the suburbs and then just rent this one out. And that's their start of their you know real estate portfolio. That would be that would be my dream for them to do is to this to be their start of their real estate portfolio. They get in with a low down payment loan. Um, it's appreciating, you know, much higher than the rate or much more than what they actually put down on the property. So they're they're winning probably within a year or two. Um, the other scenario, which is which is also not bad. Um, would be to they live in it for at least two years and then they they sell it and then they take advantage of the the tax code where they can you know not pay capital gains on um, up to what is it? it's like five hundred thousand if you're married I believe two hundred fifty if you're not yeah. of of capital gains and now that chunk of money helps them start their investing in stocks or to buy another rental property so I think either of those two scenarios I think I'd be I'd be pretty happy with and. I'm hoping that's that's kind of the way it works out. And I'd be be proud to still come back in 20 years and see it standing there. Great. Yeah, uh, just kind of fast forward a little bit. You mentioned you were interested in getting into more developments. I guess what what do you see your legacy being in in real estate, and then kind of beyond that? Because obviously, it's much more important than just the real estate itself. So. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I guess what resonates with me is, is somewhat attainable slash affordable housing, you know, stuff that is a low, low enough barrier to entry that kind of a working professional can get into. So my goal would be to build, 
as many units as possible that are clean, nice, and somewhat affordable, you know, relative to the area. And <clears throat> then on top of that, hopefully being able to hold on to a lot of those properties and be just a, a halfway decent landlord, right? I mean, if you're somewhat decent and respond to maintenance requests and, you know, make sure tenants are taken care of, you're, you're probably doing better than, you know, a, a lot out there that's in the areas that I'm investing in, right? Because I'm investing in a lot of the areas where maybe not as uh, paid attention to or a little bit neglected. So we'd love to be kind of a uh, hopefully better picture, better representation of, you know, what a housing provider can be. You've talked about the uh, your work and uh, the investments and the risk and everything. And you are, and I'll, I'll say this, like, just honestly, like you're very humble about your skill set and Appreciate you're uh, incredibly approachable. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of big challenges that you deal with. Uh, but what are the things that, that kind of bother you about the development process? Or if you could have the opportunity to change something either now or in the future, what would it be? Yeah, I think uh, we'd love to see more just resources out there for people who want to get into development. You know, obviously, I think, you know, when I try to talk about it on Twitter, everyone's like, oh, no, you're, you're making it sound so easy. You're making it sound like there's there's no risk. And it's it's not so much that. It's more of what I'm trying to show is like it's it's possible right it's not it's not crazy impossible it's definitely hard right there's risk associated but if you take a look at kind of like what i mentioned earlier like the downside and how bad can it really get in this specific time frame and you're okay with that and you got a pretty decent builder who's built a bunch of homes and you've got full entitlements i mean you're you're 90 percent of the way there honestly you got a good contractor and you got permits in place you're probably okay um, so I'd love to see more resources and people talk about how to get into it. Um, again, not recommending people get into it with no money. Like I did, like I got very lucky getting in, especially when rates were zero. Right. Um, that definitely saved me a little bit, but, uh, yeah, just more resources of, of how to get into it, or at least what the path, you know, path to get into it. Like, should you start with flipping? And then once you do a flip, you know, what, how many should you do before you should feel comfortable before getting to development? Or if you want to go to development, like who should you go work for? What are some resources? What do you need to learn? What skill sets do you need? Um, when I got started, there was, there was none of that. I was just Googling everything. Like, you know, how do I, you know, look through the permitting code? Like there's just, there's not much free resources, so to speak out there. Um, so I'd love to see more of that. And that's what I attempt to do in some way on Twitter is just show like, just kind of transparent of what I go through. And hopefully that inspires someone to, to jump in. Are you going to start masterclass? <laughs> oh yeah yeah ten thousand dollars you know that's good i'll sign yeah. up no no not at all no i plan to i plan to i mean i never plan to do one my whole thing is people have always asked me i'm like dude like i just got started a year ago why would you even want to pay me to learn about development so i said first of all no second of all just you know if, if you're listening to this and follow me on twitter or instagram whatever it may be it's like i tell everybody just dm me your question and i'm happy to help to the best of my ability and yeah it's kind of the way I'd like to do it. It's just give, give free advice is if I know about it, at least I'll try to help. That's a, that's a great attitude to have because there's so much complexity out there. And I think a lot of selfishness in the opportunity and it feels like isolating sometimes because you, you do same, same with me. You want to turn, ask somebody a question 
And I think, I think honestly, Twitter has developed this little culture of, of folks who are very open and honest and supportive about what's happening. And, and you're obviously a big contributor to that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Hopefully, um, can continue to do so. So Donovan, if you're going to do anything differently in the future, uh, like make different decisions or kind of approach development, um, is there anything that you would uh, get other than obviously having lots of money in your pocket from day one, but is there anything else you'd do differently? Yeah, I think if possible, I probably would have partnered with someone uh, like partnering with the builder or a contractor on the first one. So the investor I had, he had owned rental properties, but he had you know no experience in building. So it's not like I could have leaned on him for some advice when you know things weren't going kind of up to par. It was more, you just got to figure it out because nobody, n- neither of us knows me nor the investor. So I think if I could have partnered, like brought a lot to a builder, say, hey, um, I found this off-market deal. I have it under contract. Would you partner with me as well as maybe teach me how to build a little bit or at least kind of the, the summary points, um, kind of the big, I guess, ways I could get hurt. That may be a good entry point for you to, for you know, a new investor to feel comfortable doing it again on the second and third time is, you know, having a experienced contractor builder uh, kind of team up, and maybe you give them all the, all the profit, right? Maybe you do whatever you had to do to get that deal done, which is kind of what I did on my first one. I think I gave my investor like 80 percent of the profit, and then my like little twenty percent wouldn't even get paid until I was completely, we completely exited the project. So there's nothing up front. So I was pretty much working for free for a good year and a half. So that could be a way to partner with the contractor. Hey, I'll do all the invoicing. I'll do all the contracts, whatever, you know, he needs done, he or she needs done. You can get that done for them and and hopefully learn along the way. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. Yeah. Kind of wrap, wrap us up a little bit, which is there any other advice you'd give to prospective uh, developers out there looking to, to sink into their first deal and then, um, kind of advice maybe you wish you had received in starting out? Yeah, I mean, I guess my advice to not only developers, I guess really to everyone kind of in real estate or looking to get into real estate is to maybe start to join some of these communities that you see on social media, whether it be retweet or I don't know if there's like a, there's not really an Instagram equivalent. I feel like it's all all guru stuff on there, but, you know, start to share what you're going through on, on Twitter. You know, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? You know, you know, even if something simple as, hey, I analyze this deal, it doesn't pencil because of, you know, X. Um, just not being afraid to share where you at where you're at. Um, it was intimidating for me when I got started because I was like, Oh yeah, you know, Moses and Nick Huber are doing hundreds of million dollars worth of deals and I'm talking about a two hundred K duplex. Like nobody nobody cares about that. But in reality, I think everyone on there likes to help, you know, in general and wanna wants to pull people up and hopefully encourage kind of newcomers. So I think, you know, wherever you're at, I think people want to hear about it. So definitely try to sh- on there. Well, I, I love that you've lent your voice to the conversation and, uh, and establish yourself really early on as a leader. Um, it's fantastic to see uh, folks with, with your attitude and your hustle um, get things done, because I think it not only inspires uh, those of us who've been in the business maybe a little bit longer um, know that like there's there's a next generation coming up and um, and we're not we're not short on ambition and, and short on quality really yeah no for sure and that's like development day to day right there's always some fire drill that that happens where you're like oh man how am I going to get through this um, let me try to think of one 
uh, one I'm actually dealing with right now at this very moment. So um, a house that we, or a lot that we purchased was subdivided from a previous owner. So the owner owned like 10,000 square feet. They parceled it off because they owned you know a house on theirs and they had a vacant lot next to it, parceled it off and sold it. And so we buy it, you know, last year, it's all good. We go through permitting. It's all good. It's approved. Um, we start building. We're all good. We're about 85% done. And then the inspector comes and red tags our property and the property next to us because they say the neighbor's property is too close to ours. And I'm like, okay, for, first of all, this was permitted through you guys. So, you know, you know, what do you want me to do about it? Second of all, it was, you know, why would you wait until we're basically done with the property to tell us this, right? So now the property has been red tagged for like 60 days, two months. Um, interest payments are like two grand. So so what we have to do is I'm having to run for the neighbor because the neighbor is 70, year old, 70 years old and just kind of older gentleman, doesn't really know about all this. And so the inspector was like, yeah, the neighbor needs to get updated plans and fix their property before we can release the red tag on you. I was like, but we didn't do anything wrong. He was like, it doesn't matter. I was like, okay. Um, so now I'm working on getting the plans approved for the neighbor, you know, paying out of our pocket to get the plans approved. And then we're probably going to have to pay ourselves to fix the, I think we have to add like a firewall to the neighbor's property. Um, but again, it's like, we didn't do anything wrong, but you're red tagged and you can't move forward with inspections. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, this is like the day-to-day -day stuff, right? You just got to figure it out. It's interesting to have conversations with folks who've worked across the country and discovering that it's not unique that cities don't talk internally um, between yeah. departments and between groups. And if there's one thing that I advocate more is that cities take a position that they can um, direct development more um, and, and, and streamline the process more just yeah. because of the sheer volume of investment that is possible um, if we can clean things up and simplify it. And all the innovation that's been done uh, in technology and in every other sector of the U.S. economy, construction is still very far behind. But even with that, um, city governments uh, are are the next you know spot for innovation. And there's lots of groups that are working on that. But I think that construction highlights a lot of times where those inefficiencies are and the fact that it's not one city or another, but it is uniform uh, across the United States. And, and as a city planner who has a heart for you know local municipal government, like it pains me to see cities deal with that and, and the, yeah. the, the problems it causes along the way. 100%. Yeah. No, if you're running for mayor, let me know. Um, you got my vote. <laughs> I'm all in. I, I've advocated that we need more architects and engineers and planners and design related people uh, running for planning commission and running for city council and getting involved yeah. um, to be to be in the room, you know, to to guide those discussions and really put some effort behind that. So um, I, I, I will put your uh, mayoral sign in my front yard. So. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. No, but I'm, I'm telling everyone to vote for Mark. No, no, no. <laughs> it's tough. Well, I guess uh, it's all great information. I, it was nice to kind of uncover the veil and look back there and see, you know, in your short career, but impactful career, um, you know, what, what we, we talked about the good, the bad, and a little bit of ugly, uh, but still on top of everything. So 
appreciate all your time. I guess, could you give us a little bit more about where people can find about more about you and what you're doing if, if they've been living under a rock for a little while? Um, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Super honored to be here. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Donovan Builds or on Instagram at Donovan underscore 651, which is 651 is the, the St. Paul area code where I'm from. And then, or I'm on LinkedIn at, at Donovan Adesero. So feel free to add me in any or all of them and happy to connect. Awesome. Yeah. I'll look forward to buying that course from you. <laughs> Coming Free soon. Charge. Masterclass. Masterclass. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Thank you guys. All yep. right. Thanks, Donald. Appreciate Thanks, your time. Right, take care.